Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Morning, church. Do you know in baseball they have the walk-up music when they go to bed? I want that song from the Cosby Show to be mine. That's amazing. Just makes me happy. Uh, hey, if you're visiting Christ Church, my name's Mark, and I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here. We're glad you're with us. I'd like you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you're keeping notes, you'll notice on the outline I messed up and I sent in 1 Timothy, which would be an interesting sermon, but just not today's. So uh, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll venture into chapter 4 this morning. We are in this series called Why Church? We're answering the question uh, for a culture that says, I can love Jesus and I can be saved, and I can be a Christian, but I can have nothing to do with the church. I don't need it, I don't want it, and I'm just going to live my spirituality separate. We want to answer the question, why did God give us the church? If we think it's optional and he doesn't, where have we messed up? So in the first three weeks of our series, what we've been focusing on is what God put in place that makes the church relevant and important. And what we learned is God's relational. Everything he did was to recreate a relationship that we've broken through sin. The work of Jesus, the work of the law, everything is geared in this direction. It's all about what God's doing to be in relationship with us. And then we talked about the fact that uh, God is trying to instill in us a, a new heart, to change the broken heart, what sin has done to us, made us hard and callous, that God wants to soften our hearts for love, for obedience, and for sacrifice. And then last week, we realized that when Moses showed the covenant relationship, he said there's life to be found in God, and without God there will only be death. That God is doing all of these things in relationship with us. He's provided this so that we know how to live, live well, and live for one another. So today we take a turn in this series, and we start focusing on what God has given us with one another that's important. It answers the question, why church? Why should we be engaged in this? Why should we put up with it? Why should we be involved with it? Why should we sacrifice for it? And when you stand, you know, it's kind of ridiculous now for me to stand here after Ethan's laid out for you how we in nowhere, Missouri, can impact one of the largest cities in the world with the gospel. And many of us will never go there. That's why church. Because God is changing things in his world through people like you and I. In spite of our weaknesses, God's doing that work. So today I want to talk to you about why, church, that we could embrace a greater truth, that we could hold on to a greater truth. Let me explain it this way. In 2 Timothy 3.14, he's, uh, Paul's writing this letter to a young preacher named Timothy. Paul had started churches. He had won people to Christ, and he started these gatherings of people of like mind who were committed to Jesus Christ and his lordship. And so he established this thing called the church. And he left these young preachers named Timothy and Titus to pastor these churches and to help them get going. So what I need you to understand is the words we're going to read today in 2 Timothy are to a preacher in a church context. They can't be taken out of that. They can't be stripped of that. It has to be in that realm that he's talking to the people that gather together in the name of Jesus. And I'm not talking about, I need to be clear, I'm not talking about Sunday mornings. I'm talking about the body living and serving and working together. Here he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It says, remember who taught you. 
community. Remember what they taught you, truth. Hold on to that. Don't let that go. Retain that. Live for that. It reminds me of the passage in Isaiah 55, verse 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God says my words will do its work. It will accomplish my purposes and it will meet my intent. His words are alive, they're active. And one of the reasons God gave us a church is that we would embrace a greater truth in an age today that questions whether there is truth. And I'm not going to stand up here and be a, I'm not going to make a sociological statement about the world in which we live. I'm going to talk to the group of people that are gathered here today about making sure that we understand the importance of God's truth. Now, I know I'm talking on a Sunday morning to a group of people who came to church. So it's kind of like preaching to the choir, right? I'm telling you that the word of God is important. And we're all going to go, duh. I came to church, right? I think it is. I think Jesus is, is God, so I'm here. But I want you to understand, I'm not saying that it's important. I'm saying it's the most important thing. Church, are you with me? It's not just something you add to your life that might make your life a little bit better. It is the most important guide to everything. And I'd like to explain this morning with five definitions of why this truth matters and why the church holding to the truth matters. Let's begin with the first. The word of truth produces salvation. It produces salvation. It's not just a book that gives us good instruction. It's not, as some of us preachers have said in the past, the owner's manual to live a great life. It is so much more than that. It is life. It is the only thing that produces life. But I need to say from the very beginning, I don't want anybody to leave here today suggesting that we worship a book that we worship the Bible, that we memorize the Bible and we retain all the information. Jesus dealt with people who knew what the Word of God said over and over, but they never let it change them. I'm here to tell you that we need to worship the author of the book, the one who spoke the words. And the Word of God reveals God to us, reveals who He is and who we are and what kind of world we live in and what we face. Paul said to Timothy, continue in the things you've learned. The word he used for continued means to remain, abide, stay. Don't leave this foundation of truth. Don't venture off to new things. The thing that I'm noticing today is if, if something worked 50 years ago, we dismiss it. If it's not new, it can't work. That's just not true. This is absolutely not true. But in our culture, it has to be new and improved. Uh, marketing people take advantage of us all the time. It's always cracked me up. They'll take a vehicle and change the headlights from round to square, and we have to have it. And all they did was change the look of the front of it. None of the core of it changed at all. New and improved doesn't mean new or improved. It just means new. And Paul said to Timothy, hold on to what you've learned. It is the foundation from which you grow. It's where life came from. Jesus said in John 5, 24, I tell you the truth. Well, I could preach a series of sermons on the time that Jesus tried to show us what was true, and we want to debate. He said, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words, and listen to this next line, and believes him who sent me, has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Those who believe the one who's speaking the words of life. It's about who's talking, not just memorizing what they said. 
Because when we know who's talking, it has greater impact. See, believing in God's work delivers us from judgment and death to life in his kingdom. I also love in John 6 when Jesus is really laying the lumber to a group of people who said he believed him, they believed in him, but they weren't willing to do what he said. He says in verse 63, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus is saying to us, the words that I've told you, the message of the gospel is not only alive and will give you life, it is my spirit speaking to you. That's why when you have moments, and and I I don't want to make this about a Sunday morning, but there's been moments that you've been in the teaching of God's word. You've been in a small group, or you've been on a Sunday morning, or you're driving down the road and you hear a testimony on the radio, and do you have that moment where your heart lights up and you just realize, this is important, this matters, this is not just information, this is significant, this is more, this is alive? Jesus said, my words have spirit and life. They're not just dead words and instruction. It's living, breathing hope. John 20, verse 31, Jesus said, or excuse me, John wrote, the apostle John wrote, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The word of God is producing salvation. 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul wrote, We also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which is at work in you who believe, it's working. And to to act out the word of God, you have got to know the word of God. It's a simple equation. The word of God is the will of God. When people ask us, what is God's will for me in this situation? You have to ask the question, what has the word of God already said about it? People will come to other Christians and say, I want to do this with my life. And they'll ask their friends for their approval. When your friend's approval is not as important as what has God already said about it. Because the word of God is the will of God. And in a culture today that wonders if the word of God is still relevant, I'm going to give you the words Paul gave to a young preacher. Continue in the things you've learned. Don't vary from those. The word of God has not changed. The power of God has not changed. And the intent of God has not changed. The world is saying it doesn't matter anymore. I'm here to tell you it's the most important thing you'll ever know. And when you know it, hold on to it. Don't hold on to it to use power over people, but you hold on to it for its salvation, for its hope. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God, the enduring word of God. Now, the next four points were taught to me like 108 years ago when I was just starting in ministry. In a book I read by a guy who outlines the Bible like a genius. His name's Warren, Warren Wiersbe. And Dr. Wiersbe has a great way of finding the heartbeat of a text. And I remember reading this in a Bible study I was doing for James a long, long time ago, probably 20, 25 years ago. And I've never forgotten its hook, so I'm going to use it this morning. First of all, the word of truth teaches what is right. That's the first thing I want you to understand. This is what Paul's going to tell us here. He says in verse 16, That all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching. The word teaching is content. The fundamental truth of what is and what isn't. We do live in a world today that says there is no right and wrong. It's all based up to the person. You can do wrong if it doesn't hurt anybody else. It's no one else's business. I'm here to tell you the word of God that we're to contain and hold on to. That word says, no, there is a right way and there is a wrong way. But we debate in our culture today what is the right way. And it says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. 
It helps us know what's right. In fact, when Hosea, the Old Testament prophet, was sent to God's people, and once you get into the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, in the Lamentations, Hosea, Obadiah, Amos, Jonah, Micah, whenever you go through all of the prophets of the Old Testament, you're going to see a reoccurring theme. God has said this is right, and the people have said we don't care. That's the Old Testament in the summation. If you ever have an Old Testament test, write that down. I think you might pass. God said this is right, and we said yawn. I don't care. It doesn't make sense to me today. Hosea had a message. Listen to what he said. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. It's not important to believe. Listen to me. It's not so important that we believe the Bible is true. It's more important that we experience its truth. You can study and study and study, but if you don't implement what God has said is the right path of life, what good is it? Satan knows Jesus is right, but it doesn't alter his existence or his purposes. So the Bible says to us, I love what Michael said a few weeks ago. He said, the God who makes promises is the same God who issues commands. He wants us to understand there is a right way, and we should know what that is. Not so we're better than other people, so that we can share that right way with other folks. That we can take them off the path of destruction and introduce them to what is holy living. So that's the first thing. It's useful to show us what's right. Secondly, or third actually in our outline. The word of truth reproves what is not right. The word reprove or rebuke says all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for rebuking. Now I don't know that anyone's ever come up and officially rebuked me. But there's an expression today that is a rebuke, and I think you'll get it. Here's the expression. Really? If anyone's ever given you a really, it's a rebuke. My 11-year-old gets a lot of rebuking. He'll do something. I, he's got this weird turn. I don't know if it's genetics or not, but he thinks he's funny. And he'll do something, and his mother and I will look at him, and I go, really? Now, what I'm saying is, in front of your mom, because if she weren't here, we'd be on the floor laughing. But because she's here, uh-uh, Really? It's a rebuke. You see, it's not only does the Bible teach us what is right, the Bible teaches us what is not right. And, and I know that's hard. I'd like to let it simmer here for a little while. That there are a number of us who, we love the church when it tells us we're saved by grace. But when the church says, no, you should live a holy life, you should choose to be different from the world because of your love for Jesus, that's when we respond back with, really? It's hard enough to do the right thing. I don't need anybody telling me I'm wrong. I don't want anybody in my business. But let me tell you this. What if your business is sending you to hell? Can I get in your business? Because if I love my son, I don't care if he likes my rebuke. If my rebuke is based on love so that he doesn't wreck his life, what does a good dad do? He rebukes. So I think amongst loving people, I'm not talking about people that aren't here today. I'm talking about within the family of God. And we can be able to look at each other. I can look at some of my best friends and go, really? Because the word of God not only shows us what's right, It shows us what's not right, and it brings conviction. That's why when you read the Word of God, every time I read a passage about the way we use words and what words do to one another, I find this conviction. It's the Holy Spirit saying to me, Mark, not every thought you have should come out of your face. You're not as funny as you think you are, and sometimes you're mean. And I read those passages, and I'm like, he's right. I'm not right. I need to deal with that. Now, I'm going to give you my expertise here. One of the things I love to do is Little League coaching, whether it's baseball or football. I like it. I don't know if I'm good at it. I don't care. I'm selfish enough to like it and do it. 
But it busts my chops to look at a fifth grade boy who's made the same mistake 15 times. If I tell him he had a good block and he did awesome and I high five him, his eyes light up and he'll sit right next to me and ask me again, what did I do right? And they love encouragement. But when I look at him and say, that's not the right way to do that, what do they do? Roll their eyes, sigh, slump their shoulders, oh, I might as well quit. With that attitude, you just did. But maybe it wasn't fifth grade coaching, maybe it was the church. Maybe it was people in the church who were like, oh, no, tell me I'm saved. I, you are saved, but you can be better. Oh, I can't. Yes, you can. And isn't it our job to call each one of us to better, not to accept worse? Church, are you with me? But we do it lovingly. And I tell the players, I had to tell some of them yesterday, I love you guys, but I'm not going to watch this. I'm not. If you don't do it the right way, i got to get somebody who will. And guess what? Some of them started doing it the right way. I'm an awesome coach. <laughs> that was the moral of the story. <laughs> Hebrews 4.12. I'm going to get leprosy right on stage. <clears throat> <laughs> Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's why reading the Bible and being in a community of faith is hard. It's bittersweet. Why? Because the Bible has no problem telling you you're not all that. So that you can become all God wants you to be. But if we won't let God correct us, what advantages have we gained? In John 3.20, Jesus said, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. That's why there are empty seats in this room right now. Because the church has exposed sin without caring for the soul of the person. But the word of God never does that. The word of God will show us what's right and it'll show us what's not right. And a Bible teaching church will never be a safe place for sin or it's not a Bible teaching church. If the word of God is going to be, listen, if the word of God is going to be accurately displayed, it's going to cause all of us to be uncomfortable, Amen. but not unwanted. And that's the difference. Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God's not fooled, even if we are. Even if I could fool you every Sunday, God's in heaven looking down on me going, Mark, we have some work to do. Are you open? Do you desire it? So we go with what is right, what is not right. Now let's go to the third piece, and this is the hope this morning. So if I busted your chops and you're feeling uncomfortable, listen to the grace. It's always here. The word of truth corrects us in how to be right. This is, makes me so happy. My tail's wagging right now. Not only does God say to Mark, stop it with the mouth stuff. Your language, your attitude, your mean, stop it. He not only tells me what I'm doing wrong, he shows me how to get over it. Isn't that good news? That the Bible is not a condemning book. It is a corrective book. And when I move players from spot to spot, or I say to a kid, if you don't block with your hands, you might as well lay down on the ground. I'm trying to show him how to go from what's not right to the proper technique. And whether they pick it up or not, it's our job with one another to hold each other to doing what we're supposed to do. And show them how to do it. Don't just say, your life's a life of sin. Show them what God offers them that's beyond that. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for correcting. In fact, the word correcting means to lift up and straighten up. 
I'll get off the coaching here thing in a second. I do love it, though. When they were little peanuts, like second and third grade, and we played flag, or I guess it was first and second grade when they played flag football, I loved coaching them. You know why? Because if they weren't in the right spot, I walked over, picked them up, carried them to a spot, and set them down. And we were done. No argument. Stay there. I love that part of it. Fifth graders, not so much. I can't pick up Braden, and throw him over my shoulder and put him in another spot. He actually wants to know why. Coaching is easy when you can dominate. It's not as easy when you have to teach and correct. And in the church, we must be open to the word of God correcting us and showing us how to stand up and be straight. So it's what is right, what is not right, and how to, how to be right. He shows us how to overcome. When I'm convicted about pride, the word of God tells me to be humble, and it gives me examples. When the word of God convicts me of my language and my mouth and my attitude, it shows me that I'm to be loving and I'm to be about others and I'm to choose others' interests over my own. It gives me a way to overcome me. And that's what I need. I need the word of God to show me what's wrong and then help me fix it. And the word of God does that. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, Paul said to the churches, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. God's not going to quit on us, even when he corrects us. In 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he was committed to us the message of reconciliation. I had a professor one time, and it's, it's kind of a street translation of it but he said the word of reconciliation is to set a broken bone and so the purpose of this passage is that God has brought you and I not just to point out sin but to show them how to overcome it through Jesus Christ and not just to show them how to overcome it through Jesus Christ but church hang with me to go on the journey with them it's the good Samaritan story it's not just to see him in a ditch and bandage his wounds no it's to put him on a donkey and take him to a place where he can be restored It's a reconciliation between sinners and a God who cannot sin and through Jesus Christ bringing us together for hope. And we are going to stumble and we are going to fall and we're going to be imperfect, but the word of God doesn't leave us in our conviction. It gives us a reason to be fixed and set straight. So let's review and then I'm about done. What is right? What is not right? How to get right? And the fifth one. The word of truth trains us in righteousness so we may remain right. How do we go on continuing to learn from being moved around to do it the right way? How do we learn to continue to develop those spiritual muscles to stay strong? Verses 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, what I love is that expression, training in righteousness, I'm told is kind of an expression for training up a child. It's the way you raise a child to nurture, to grow, to become mature. You allow children to make mistakes, but you correct them quickly. You correct them lovingly, and you encourage them on the journey. And it says the Word of God wants to do that with us. It wants to grow us into maturity. And it's for every good work. Peter uses this expression in 1 Peter 2. He says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Christ Church wants to be a Bible-based church. We want to do Bible things Bible ways. We make choices to say what does the scripture say before what do our friends say or think. It's more important that we hold to the word of truth. And here is the truth today. 
There will be some people who attend this church who will not like the biblical position we've chosen and they will choose to go elsewhere. And they will go with our love, but we will not change the platform of biblical truth to keep people coming. We can't. Because God has not given us permission. Remember, the reason we call this Christ church is because it's his, not ours. It's not my church. I get the privilege of being a part of it. And I don't want to go off on culture because it's not necessary. Culture's not in the room right now. We are. But what do we do? You see, in chapter 4, look at the first four verses with me. A famous passage of scripture. This is Paul's anthem to these young preachers. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Let's pause there. That's why we spend the amount of time we spend on Sunday mornings, making sure that whoever speaks on behalf of the leadership of this church is preaching from a text of scripture and sharing with the body the encouragement of it. We want Sunday mornings to be inspiring. We want the word of God to speak. If you want inspiration, you have to go to the source of inspiration. So we're not better than any other church, and I'm not talking about any other church. I'm telling you why we're here. Why church is to hold on to a greater truth, to remember in a world that gives us energy and messages that aren't consistent with God, to hold on to the foundational truths of Christ and what God has taught us. Verse 3, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth, and they will turn aside to myth. Why church? To embrace the greater truth so that God will allow his word to draw us close to him and allow us to share the words of Jesus. I thought it was amazing what Ethan said a few moments before I walked out here. He said he met a 60-year-old man who'd never heard the word of Jesus rightly used. Well, he said he never heard the gospel. But the gospel has become, in our culture, an expression that means about anything. I'm here to tell you, the name of Jesus rightly used means a God who came to earth to die on behalf of those who could not protect themselves so he could protect them for eternity. That's my Jesus. Is it yours? And we need to preach the name of Jesus. The one who did not say, I have the words of life. Jesus said, I am the words of life. And so, why church? To embrace a greater truth. And I hadn't thought of it. Michael came up to me after first hour and he said, I wonder if there are people here today who've never had a Bible. Or they had a Bible and they don't know where it is. If you'd like a Bible, you can go back to our, our Welcome Center. In fact, you're a guest this morning. If you go back to the Welcome Center, we have a little gift for you. I promise it's not like a, an ankle tag that's going to tell us where you are the rest of your life. You're safe. <laughs> It's a coupon to go to our cafe and have a drink and get to know us because we love that you're here. But when you go back to that table, if you don't have a Bible, don't be embarrassed. Take it. Pick up the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read the story of Jesus. Just become familiar with those four books. Know who our Savior is. Timothy was told by Paul, hold on to the foundational truths of Jesus because in them you find life. It's not the book we worship. It's not even necessarily the particular words, although they're important. It's the one who spoke them so you and I can have life and we can have hope. Let's stand together. 
Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.